Hey there, everyone. It's Sarah Shaw from Entrepreneur, and I am here today um, with Deborah Sweeney, who's the CEO of MyCorporation.com, and they are a full-service provider for anything that you need to get done for your small business um, in the legal arena. Um, they'll help you with corporations and trademarking and copywriting and all kinds of things that you need to know about for your business, and we are going to talk about trademarks and copyrights today. So Deborah is an attorney by trade, um, and now she uh, heads up her company, mycorporation.com, and she's going to demystify all the trademarks, copyrights, tell us what we need to know, why we need to have them, and how important they are um, for a business. So welcome, Deborah. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just give us a little a brief overview about what services my corporation provides um, so everyone can know how fabulous your company is. Absolutely. Well, so we are focused on the filings and requirements that a small business needs and that would often maybe consider going to an, uh, an attorney or doing it themselves and kind of facing the confusion associated with that all while they're trying to start up their own business. So we do everything, as you mentioned, from corporations and LLCs to trademark applications, copyright applications, and the whole life cycle of business filings, business licenses, DBAs, qualifying in foreign states, all of those things. And then unfortunately, many instances dissolving businesses as they may wind up or go out of business or frankly be sold or acquired. So there are all types of filings that we can handle with the um, relevant state agencies giving a business owner the peace of mind that we know what we're doing, we've done it hundreds of thousands of times, and they can focus on what they do best, which is getting their business up and running. Yeah, well, thank goodness, because I've, def- I've used your services in the past, and uh, they've definitely made it easy for me. So um, even that little lawyer in me doesn't want to fill out all the paperwork. <laughs> uh, so um, Deborah has generously offered a $20 um, discount. I'm using a coupon code, which you'll find in the blog post, for any services or products that you want to purchase through mycorporation.com. So that's super generous. Thank you again for that. So there's no excuse, you guys. You've got to get in there and get your trademarks and your copyrights going after you hear the interview today and make sure um, that all of your paperwork and everything is up to date with everything that you need for your business. So let's dive on in um, to trademarks and copyrights. Um, which of course, I, I own like five trademarks. <laughs> so oh, I'm really I, – yeah, I'm really – I know a lot about trademarks. I even have one, one in Japan, actually, because I sell one of my products there, and that was a requirement from the company. So um, I even got into a little international trademarking. I have to say that the Japanese trademark sort of certif- the document that comes is so gorgeous. It's got you know flowers embossed all over it, and it's all pink and pretty and gold. And and on the U.S. ones, they're just you know printed. Um, <laughs> when it came, I was like, wow, this is so pretty. Like you want to frame true. it. We pay that for it, I think, with that filing. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't cheap. Um, so let's talk about what a trademark is and how that differs, you know, and, and differs from a copyright, just to clarify Absolutely. that for people. Yeah. So I think at a high level, when you think of a trademark, you're thinking of a product or service at, 
and a particular business logo or design business name associated with that product or service. The two really don't exist independently. You cannot have a trademark and not have it associated with the product or service. Um, and so it's when people think of getting their trademark, they're protecting that name, either the business name or the product name or service name, with their brand. And there's some, you know, Everybody uses Kleenex or Coca-Cola, but everybody has a brand for the most part. Many times when you incorporate or form an LLC, you choose a business name, and that business name is also your web address or your URL, and that's also your trademark. But in some instances, that's not the case. Your holding company or corporation may be different, and you may have multiple brands under one company. So um, we, we were formerly a part of Intuit. Intuit is sort of the, the broader holding company, but within that they have many trademarks, QuickBooks and TurboTax. So all of those are brand names that are protected by trademarks. That can be juxtaposed to um, a, a copyright, which is actually the protection of a work of art. And very obvious copyrights are copyrights that protect music or copyrights that protect books that are written, not necessarily the title of the book, but the content in the book. And then there's also, in today's day and age, copyrights that protect your website or the content that's of the design of your site that can be protected by copyright. So that's distinguished from the brand name or the logo that's associated with your business or product. I have a question about um, copywriting your the content on your website. Um, do you, you know, like if you do you have to actually register all the content, or can you just put, you know, you see everybody's website has, you know, this, the copyright at the bottom. Um, that's a so great is, question. Is just putting that there enough, or is that, you know, do you actually have so, to like pay to register each and everything, like blog posts and all that kind of stuff? Sure. So there's two levels of copyright protection. Um, copyrights are created from the time the work is put into existence. So really having the, the, the actual work, whether it's your, it's your website or your homepage or your blog and, or the content on the blog, and you write the C with a circle and followed by the year and typically the name of your business or the person who, own, who is claiming the copyright, that is typically sufficient. When you need to actually file it with the U.S. Copyright Office is before you were to take legal action. So if someone is actually infringing upon your copyright, then he, would, he or she would, you would need to file your copyright with the U.S. Copyright Office, and then you could take legal action. You can't take legal action under the law before that happens. So the nice part is, it, the copyright exists from the time it's created. It's called common law. And mm -hmm. so that's the first phase. And I always recommend, it's, it's really difficult every time you write something or do a blog post to send it into the U.S. Copyright Office. And, and it's also expensive. It's not necessary. So if there's something that you've written, you put that notice that you're claiming ownership. And then if someone were to infringe, you could just go ahead and file with the Copyright Office and then have to take legal action if you needed to. Typically, a, a demand letter or a, a kind of a, a an email often, you know, hey, this is my content, please remove it, is often sufficient. Um, and with that, you claim your copyright. So, so do you, so like let's say, it's just, so I guess going, swinging back just to be double clear, is it okay then, are you considered protected, quote unquote, you know, 
if you just at the bottom of your website have that copyright with the date and your name, or do you actually have to put that at the bottom of each blog post? It's wise to put it at the bottom of the website and have it there all the time. If out of an abundance of caution, like anything else, you want to put it at the end of every blog post, you can certainly do that. But if the blog post is typically contained within the website, then there's sort of that presumption of ownership. It, there's it. not a ton of case law about blog posts and reposting, but it, to the extent that it's posted on your website and there's the copyright notice, there is probably going to be sufficient protection for your for your for your content. The other thing that is that it's really impractical to be filing all the time. So I typically, for, for our company, I, when we have a major code release or a major website update, I will file that with the Copyright Office. And that may happen once a year um, uh -huh. just to give them the most updated material so that if I miss something in between, it's sort of captured within that filing. But, and, and usually it depends what you're claiming your copyright to. If it's to the pictures of the website, you're sort of submitting your pictures of your website to the Copyright Office. Or if it's the code that you're claiming your ownership in, then you can submit. Usually the office allows the first 10 pages and the last 10 pages of your code. So it kind of okay. depends what you're looking at. But you do not need to submit every time you post a blog. Yeah. What, what is the um, filing fees for the government for so copyright? For copyright, it's a lot less expensive. It's in the $35 range. It depends on kind of what you're filing, but it's really a lot less expensive. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has sort of a 350 range, um, and that's because it depends on how many, if you're filing online or if you're filing through um, their, it's called a TEAS service. So there's different levels of, they have different price points, but it's in that range. So it's, you know, quite a bit more. It's 10 times the price of the copyright. But certainly sure. because the two don't overlap, if you need a trademark, you still you have to pay the trademark fee. It's just that people don't tend to um, protect their trademarks in quite um, the way they would their copyrights simply because the trademark is usually what goes along with a brand for the lifetime of that brand. So it's worth right. just the filing fee just because you, know, you want to make sure you're protected. Oh, of course. Well, like I said, I'm a trademark fool. So, <laughs> um, so, so talk a little bit about the benefits of a trademark for for a business, and and you know, and sort of the and what I'd like to know too is the difference between just filing, like your thoughts on just filing, like the name, like for example, my um, accessory company is called Simply Sarah, but it also has a logo, and I chose to file them together um, because that's just what I chose to do, but some people, like Entrepreneur, is only just the word Entrepreneur. I don't have a logo for it. It is sort of the style. The word is written in a specific font and style, so that whole image was trademarked. Um, so I guess it's kind of a logo in itself. But um, so just let's talk about like the benefits of a trademark for for the small business, and then also the difference and why they'd want to file like just the word, the word and the logo. How that can Absolutely. Protect. Perfect. So a trademark is is once registered gives you world nationwide protection of your brand or logo or word mark, and that nationwide protection enables you to go against third parties in the event that they use your brand or trademark to sell goods and services that are similar to theirs. One thing that is important to note is if the goods and services are very distinct, then arguably two parties can exist with the same trademark 
without having similar goods and services. So um, American Airlines um, is is a, a trademark for an airline, but you can also have other goods. American um, body for a body um, shop for for your um, car, and the two can right. exist because they're unique and distinct goods and services. Um, when a brand becomes so unique, uh, Kleenex is a good example, it's very difficult to then use it and argue it's not the same Kleenex as yeah. um, the, the tissue. So it's, there are certain trademarks like McDonald's that have become so, so um, well-known that they're actually protected on a broader level. But for the most part, um, trademarks are just very critically important to protect your good or service associated with your brand name. Um, and I think the main reason is people don't want to invest a whole lot of money in growing their brand or advertising their product or service and then have someone else come in and use that name that they've spent all this time investing in and abscond with it and then try to sell a product that's quite similar and make money off of it. Uh, sure. One of the biggest things in the U.S. that people do is they start new businesses and they have a little bit of a creative add to another type of business and they brand it. And it's with that brand that they build the recognition from customers. And so certainly people don't want then to have someone else take it or use it. Um, yeah. And that's one of the, the biggest, most important benefits of protecting your trademark. Um, one of the things um, I've heard, because I also own a patent, and I know that patents aren't protected at the U.S. Customs border, um, but I've heard that trademarks are. Um, do you know, are you familiar with that? Yes, absolutely. So there are, you can, getting a trademark in the United States gives you rights outside the United States relative to your trademark if you file within a certain period of time and in certain countries. So the European Union, there are certain things, it's called a CTM, a community trademark, where your rights in the U.S. can be extended beyond the borders of the U.S., but it requires a filing. It requires a very similar analysis to what the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office will be doing, is making sure that there are no marks that preexist yours and making sure that uh, you're not competing against a third party and trying to abscond with their trademark by filing. So certainly um, there, are, there is an analysis that's done outside the U.S. borders when you're filing internationally. But um, for the most part, if you file within a certain period, usually in the 18-month range, you can have your trademark protected outside the U.S. The, the caveat is, frankly, it's expensive. Uh, filing, yeah. outside, filing outside the U.S., you're filing in multiple countries. Um, you often, I find that people would choose the jurisdiction that was so critically important to them and file in that jurisdiction only. But there are broad-based applications that can be filed across multiple jurisdictions, which get pretty pricey. Yeah, well, at least now, if you were going overseas to sell your product in the EU, at least it's one filing instead of in every country, which it probably was before. Right, right. And many, yeah. many uh, lawyers look at, okay, they, they kind of look across the countries and they see, are there any in that kind of broad, if you're filing in the whole CTM, are there any countries that might create a problem? Because frankly, sometimes if there's one country in the whole group that creates a problem, you're stuck. And so you want right. to make sure that you're, you do the, your trademark research. Um, and we offer actually that kind of service where you can do a, you can actually look into what marks exist or pre-exist your mark to make sure that you're not spending money filing for a trademark that someone else already owns. Yeah, that, that would be a drag. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
Um, can you talk a little bit about how people could go on the USPTO and sort of, you know, just to, you know, get a sense before they contacted you? I mean, they're not going to contact you and ask you to file something if it's, if there's like 20 people that already have the same name, you know, or right. they might, you know, like my Simply Sarah, um, uh, I think you guys filed that for me, and I, I had already looked online at the USPTO, and there was a company called Simply Sarah that is a dog walking or dog accessories company, and since I sell women's accessories, I just, I didn't think it was going to be a problem, and it, it wasn't, especially because I was filing with my logo, um, and it's right. very different from hers, and we're in totally, we weren't even registered in the same classes or anything um, for the trademark classification. So, um, you know, and, and so can you just talk a little bit about how people could use the USPTO.gov uh, website um, to, to look things up on their own a little bit? Yes, absolutely. There's really amazing research tools on the USPTO for you to evaluate. It's called, I mentioned it earlier, it's called TEAS. It's the, their um, system that they use to categorize all of the trademarks. And so you can literally go on the USPTO website, click on search trademarks, and you can start typing in search terms to be able to evaluate. And if you get really sophisticated, you can come to a point where you can, um, if your name is too, like simply Sarah, you can search for any mark that has simply or Sarah in it and really analyze all of the variables potentially. Um, because you might search simply Sarah and someone else's um, simply Sarah, right, with an IES, and, and your mark wouldn't come up in that search, but it could if you searched for them independently. And so you're able to sort of analyze, wow, is that too similar that the USPTO might not give it to me because it's so similar? And then just the same analysis you did is then the next step is you look at it okay, the mark may be very similar, but are the goods similar? And if they're distinct, then they, you can feel comfortable knowing that you can get registered. Yeah. That was sort of my only ever easy registration. All my other ones have been a nightmare. Right. And I've had to later get a lawyer involved. But, uh, but that, that one was That sometimes easy. happens. And I think the, that's why the, the search, the comprehensive trademark search, one of the other things that's become so super common is just searching on Google or searching on your Yahoo, whatever the case may be where your search engines are. And doing an analysis of what pops up because typically if there's a brand that exists and they've filed a trademark, then they exist somewhere on the Internet. And so you can kind yeah. of do a little bit of an analysis in that way and make a determination. And the good thing is even if you do a trademark search and you uncover that there are similar, similar um, names or terms but someone, and someone else is using them, if you can make an argument to yourself in, in a funny way that um, hey, this is different enough, the examiner at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is probably going to ask you to do that. So as long as it passes the test from your perspective, although sometimes the owner is a little bit um, emotional about trademarks, so they believe it passes no matter what. But with that said, usually it's, if you're analyzing it and taking a look at it, the examiner is going to ask you to do the same thing and respond to their concerns. And so once you respond to their concerns and, and they feel comfortable that it's not the same, then you're usually in the clear. Yeah. Um, do you, <laughs> I know it's getting by those guys with those Hawkeyes. <laughs> they bring up some, I mean, they really do their job. I mean, it's amazing the things that they've brought up, you know, as question points in some of my trade parts um, in the past. Um, so one question I wanted to swing back to is, is the difference between 
um, trademarking with a logo versus trademarking just yes. the words? Is there yes. is there a, a Great you know, ramification for either one or better choice or option? I think in the perfect world, one would do both, and that is because you want to make sure if your logo is static, you're not going to change it. It's on your website. It's on all your corporate materials, and you're leaving it as is. You want to make sure that logo is protected. But usually a logo is protected with the design, the color, the font size. All of those factors are considered in a logo. So for the most part, a logo is actually easier to trademark in many instances than the word mark because when you're talking about just the words in black letter form, often there can be a lot more consistencies or overlap between other trademarks. So I think when people usually file and they take their first stab, and I, I often have not recommended that people file more than one at once because sometimes you're fighting multiple battles and you want to just get one trademark through. And once that one trademark goes, then you're able to get other related trademarks in a much easier fashion. The USPTO looks at it kind of like a family of trademarks. And so, for example, we filed my corporation early on and we got the registered trademark. And then we did my corporation business services and then my corp and then you know all the different variables that might go with that uh, and then the logo and then all of the things. And, and the second and third and fourth were so much easier because we already had that sort of core ownership of the mark. And so it's sort of you're looking at it with two prongs. One is, is, it, is this a really arbitrary, fanciful, creative name that's going to get registered with the USPTO as just the word itself? Or am I going to fight a battle, so would I rather just try to register the logo? Um, Got it. And kind of balancing those two interests. You certainly have broader protection in a sense when you get the word because then anyone who uses that word, for, for instance, in, in almost any fashion, even potentially in a logo, you could go after them and say, you know, I don't care what font you used or what color you put it in, but, but that is the same as my word mark, and I own that word mark. Um, right. And so I think the same goes true. Like we all know how Coca-Cola has their design, but if you write the word Coca-Cola, they still own that. And so it's right. really sort of that deeper protection that you get from a word mark. But with that being said, it's also a lot harder, and you've mentioned during this um, call that it absolutely can be more difficult to register a word mark and you go through battles and battles with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and often other uh, trademark owners in many instances come out of the woodwork and say, wait a second, that's too similar, uh, and that isn't typically the case with the logo. Right. Yeah, I mean, because my, um, my handy hold-all that I have a patent on, my closet organizer for handbags, I wanted to trademark the name Handy Hold-All because I was going to be licensing out the, the rights to produce my product, and, um, and I wanted them to have to use the branded name, and I needed to have a trademark on it. And it was a very big battle because somebody already owned a trademark on a wire basket for gardening that was called the Hold-All, uh-huh. and mine was called the Handy Hold-All, and it was, you know, it was a pretty expensive, <laughs> it was a pretty yeah. expensive visit with my attorney for about four months back and forth with the patent, with the trademark office, trying to, you know, rewording and rewording to get them to see that my closet organizer had nothing to do with uh, gardening. 
Yeah, it's so perfect. <laughs> and 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 an analogy or a, a good way to kind of step off this is that if if that gardening tool were really famous, they probably would not have given it to you. But probably yeah. that gardening tool is protected. It's probably not a hugely well known. There's a little bit less. Um, protection associated with that. And so with yeah. that, you're probably able to make a better argument. But there is no question that those things pop up all the time. And sometimes it's totally dependent on the examiner. The examiner yeah, that's true, Mark will say no. And another examiner would have said no problem and you would have sailed through. So right. I think the toughest battles are when you're actually battling another trademark owner because part of the trademark registration process is that they publish the uh, trademark application on an official gazette, and anyone who's represented by legal counsel or who's familiar with the process gets notified of what trademarks are coming up for registration. So if you see a mark that's similar, you certainly want to oppose another person from registering it, and that's when a lot of battles ensue about trademark ownership. Well, that's what that leads me. I'm glad you brought this up because this was a question I was going to ask. So that um, so the the, the thing that the notification that you're talking about is that just for um, for attorneys or is that something? Because I was going to ask you about Watchdog, yep. or something similar. Right. Is it like Watchdog, but just for attorneys, or is it just Watchdog? Or so actually, there's many companies that offer trademark watches, um, and we can even actually do a trademark watch. A client, a customer can order from us a trademark watch, and really, it's just about searching the official U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Um, documentation. Attorneys typically are seasoned in it, trademark attorneys, so they know what to look for, but really anyone can get notified. And the same is true, like you mentioned, with Watchdog or other similar companies where they just notify you of brand uses on the internet. Um, and so there's definitely services and opportunities out there to make sure that your trademark is protected and that you're getting all of the, uh, the protection out of the trademark. One of the biggest um, things of once your trademark is protected is that you actually go out and police it and make sure that no one else is using it because your inaction on someone else's registration could actually kind of uh, relinquish your rights and protections to your mark. So if you've not been active at all about protecting a trademark and someone else has been using it, if you registered five years ago and they've been using it for four and a half and you didn't notice and there's been no conflict or issue, then then when the issue comes up, when they try to register, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office may say, no problem, they can coexist, or, you know, too bad, you haven't policed your mark, really your mark is very weak, and so there's really no protection. There's so many nuances associated with it, but active protection is one of the important features of getting a trademark, making sure, and as you probably know, renewing it, making sure that between your fifth and sixth year of use, you're filing for that renewal so that uh, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is aware of your continued ongoing use of your of your trademark. And do they notify you, or is that your job? No, not often. Um, sometimes they do, but my experience is that they do not. They do not. And so it's just sort of up to you to go on the website, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office website, and make sure you're kind of covering your bases. A lot of attorneys have services that they offer to remind you, but honestly, many, many do not remind you. So you have to kind of be on top of your trademarks. Well, I'm going to have to talk to you about looking into my Simply Sarah one because it's probably close to six years now. Right. So it's Five very wise sure. to make sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely should. You should um, do a search on the USPTO, find out your date, and you can actually do the filing online. The USPTO has a simple filing procedure, so it can be done really quickly. 
Okay. <laughs> Definitely like, wow, do it. You don't want to lose it. Yeah, no, I just made myself a note. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for all this great information. Um, it's just, you know, I hope everyone really can really get from this how important having a trademark is for your business, you know, and really being able to protect yourself from other people capitalizing on a name that you've really worked so hard to to protect. And I've been on both sides of the of the fence on this. I've had people infringe on my patent on my trademarks and try to capitalize on my name and I've lost my chess. Most of you know when I closed my my Sarah Shaw handbags company, I lost my trademarks, my own name with the company because I didn't know about trademarking it myself and licensing it to my company. <laughs> um, so my investors took my name. Um, so, you know, there's lots of things that can happen. So I, I definitely advise you to, you know, speak to an attorney, to, to talk to um, Deborah at my corporation, um, you know, to really use their services to really protect your company and make sure, you know, that you, you know, keep a hold of all the things that you work so hard to build because it really feels terrible when you wake up one day and you realize that, you know, you let things slide and you could have taken care of it um, and you just didn't know, you know, or you forgot or something. But this is sort of a wake-up call to get those trademarks and copyrights and make sure that you've got your little copyright at the bottom of your website and all those good things to protect yourself. So, um, Deborah, I really thank you so much um, for your, My your time. It's been fun. And, and, yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? Nope. I think what the best, you are the best advocate for all these services since you've been through <laughs> it. I think it's better to hear right personally about experience because it, it really does hit home about people and realizing when you invested a lot of money or you're starting a business, sometimes people forget about that, that trademark and then they really are um, you know, influenced by it later in a negative way if someone else pops up and, and takes it or, or brings action against you when you've already invested in it. So yeah. you bet it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll, we'll visit with you again about other topics down the line. So I really appreciate Great. your time. It's my Talk pleasure. To you another time. Yeah. Thank you.